the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he pinned me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If if Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mention a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I'm your host, JP John Paz, and joining me on the show today is a former a WWF superstar. She is a journalist, a photographer, a former wrestler. You may know her as Lady Maxine or Mad Maxine. Welcome to the two-man power trip. How are you doing today, Maxine? I am doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. And I feel like uh, you just popped up recently in the Washington Post. What's, what's that all about and what's kind of going on with you? Uh, you know, uh, the Post uh, got in touch. They thought I had a you know, uh, finishing a, a book that I have done uh, based on my experiences training with the fabulous Moolah in South Carolina and, uh, you know, all that was involved with living on a compound with a couple of dozen other women wrestlers or women in training to be wrestlers and, uh, you know, the, the wild and whirly world of wrestling. That does sound pretty crazy. I know I know a little bit of the story, but how does like that all kind of go down and how does that happen? Like she just kind of recruits you guys in and, and tells you you got to stay in a compound for training, or how does that all go down? No, I mean uh, she was at the um, you know uh, she was considered the best uh, person to train women wrestlers. Uh, I uh, had the good fortune of meeting Beverly Shays, also a wonderful wrestler from who was living in Tampa at the time, uh, just recently celebrated a big birthday. And uh, I really uh, wanted her to train me, but she didn't have a ring available. So she said, well, you know, if you really are serious about this, you need to go down to Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, get trained with the fabulous Moolah. Because it's not that uh, Moolah actually did the training for the most part. Uh, Donna Christian Tallow, uh, trained me, uh, and then Mula took over when we got close to my first match. So all the really basic stuff um, I learned through Donna and uh, and her patients. Um, so so I went ahead and paid the fifteen hundred dollars to uh, you know get trained by the fabulous Mula and uh, and did that for about I guess it took about six months. Uh, of uh, four hours a day training, uh, six days a week, and you live on a. We all lived on this compound. Uh, it was a hunk of land uh, and with a lake in the middle, and uh, we lived in these um, converted army barracks. Um, uh, and uh, you know, we all had roommates. And uh, so you got up uh, first thing in the morning and did two hours of training, and then had a break. Uh, during which some some of us had jobs. I worked at a Kinko's and then came back in the afternoon at 3 and did another two hours of training. So it was four hours a day. And let me tell you, I did I could not believe how, how tough it was. Uh, just learning how to take my first bump was really a challenge. 
Now, initially, did she find you or did you find her, like, as far as, like, wanting to get in the business and train under her? Oh, um, well, it was all through uh, through uh, Beverly, who got me uh, in touch with Mula, and I uh, I wrote her, uh, being uh, before email, and uh, and Mula said yes, she'd uh, she'd uh, you know accept me, and so that was that was how that happened. And Beverly was she? I think the story was she was like your boyfriend's mother. Was that kind of the relationship with Beverly? No, no, she okay. um, she was the mother of a. Friend of my, a, a friend of mine was dating her son, okay. and 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 I was I had never met a wrestler, and I just was really intrigued by the whole whole idea, and most intrigued by the fact that his mom was a wrestler, and I just you know the idea of my mother getting into a ring was just so absurd, you know. I just thought, wow, that is really interesting, and, and uh, yeah, so the party of Brooksville before I met him, and then he gave me her number and. And I'll just kind of I thought I I went to her to a match she was having at a Lions Club uh in Tampa with her um partner and uh and I just I was such a mark. I uh I really thought that uh you know well I it was a I was a mark in a in an odd way, like when they punched each other and like a welt would raise up on their chest, I thought, Oh, that doesn't hurt. Well, actually it does hurt quite a bit. But you just kind of get used to you know, you just kind of rise above the pain. So I think, uh, you know, I, I really had to change my way of thinking about wrestling. Were you always a fan, though? You said, you know, Mark and stuff. Were you always a fan? Were you always into it? Not at all. I, I you know, I've I'd, I'd been really athletic all through my uh, childhood and, and, uh, and you know, teens. I had played basketball at University of Kentucky on scholarship. Um, and the only time I'd ever seen a uh, wrestling match was uh, my boyfriend in college uh, used to watch it on Saturday mornings and would, uh, you know, he and his friends would uh, sit around and just howl, you know, at the matches, you know, especially uh, with Gordon Soley being the announcer. And uh, later I got to meet him and uh, become friends with him uh, in Tampa when I worked for a world championship wrestling for Florida. So, uh, no, I, I had no... Uh, no knowledge at all. I, I didn't grow up with it. My dad was in the military, so we we uh, you know we were three years here, there, everywhere, and uh, you know it just wasn't part of my background or culture. So when you're training with Mula, like you said, you had another job working at Kinkos, and was that like the norm? Did she want you guys to have another job, or is that just something you guys needed to do to survive? Uh, it was something I needed to do sur- to survive. I mean. Um, <laughs> If you um, if you didn't have a job, what would happen is you would go into debt to Mula, and so that when she'd finally book you a match, uh, that money would basically kind of revert to her because you would be in debt to her already. So um, it kind of set up a really bad cycle where uh, you know she could ask you to do anything, but because you were um, you know you owed her money and uh, it kind of depended on her for everything. Um, you couldn't really say no to <clears throat> to anything she requested. So I had the advantage of I had a car, I had a telephone, and I had a job. So those were the three things that uh, not everyone, uh, especially among the tra- trainees, uh, not everyone had. And uh, so that really, um, that was, I, I didn't know that was unusual when I did it, but uh, I, I also just needed to get off the, out of the uh, kind of the craziness that was the um, Camp Mula. How was she as a person? Because so many people have so many different thoughts and say different things. You can almost hear polar opposites from different people. What, like, what did you think sure. about her? Well, you know, I, I, I don't feel like I knew her as well as others. You know, uh, who were trained by her. You know, she has some some really uh, some people who are really you know, her staunch defenders, and, and that's great. I'm, I'm sure she did have a few people that she treated well. Um, I wasn't one of them. Uh, I just, what I, you know, if you judged if you judged her based on her actions, then you would say that, uh, you know, she took advantage of, of the girls uh, financially, and then, as I said, uh, you know, there were times when she uh, had, you know, so-called friends, and she would send the girls out to uh, not not uh, you know not all of them certainly not the you know the the ones who were bringing in uh, you know big money um, 
at, through their matches, but ones that were kind of like part of the stable but just not working, uh, not working very much for whatever reason. And she needed them to remove, I guess she thought, and uh, sent them out to. I only know of one uh, one um, man who she sent wrestlers out to in order to. Uh, the idea was, uh, you know, he would pay Mula to have sex with the wrestlers. So, um, and uh, she um, tried to get me to do that, and I I said, well, I'll talk to the guy and. So I did have a conversation with this fellow, and uh, and I said point blank, I said, well, what do you ex- what would you expect me to do if you you know for the five hundred dollars you you would be paying me? And I didn't get like a straight you know, well, we would have sex. No, he you know he just did the kind of sleazy, smarmy kind of response, like I think you know what I would do, and it's just you know, it wasn't uh, it, it was pretty obvious. Uh, you know that it was basically uh you know a a situation where Mula was pimping out some of the girls uh as i say not all the girls probably because i have i've heard from others who said that wasn't their experience but um you know it was my experience and i and i wasn't the only one i i know at least a few others who who uh, she either tried to or did send out there so and it wasn't you know he wasn't the only guy too i mean I don't, I just don't think she had any um, scruples about about doing something like that. You know, she she took advantage where she where she felt like she could take advantage, and there was nobody in the world who's going to gainsay her and and tell her that she couldn't. She was the the queen of her kingdom or the king of her kingdom, whichever. So those stories from your perspective are definitely true because I've heard that as well. She would pimp out girls, other girls. Oh no, I never had the experience. So it's obviously whichever the guy wanted, I'm guessing it would be kind of the direction she would send them. She kind of had no respect for some of the girls she was training. Well, you know, I, I think she viewed uh, the uh, trainees and the wrestlers as commodities as, you know, basically kind of cogs in her machine and, you know, I, I don't think she even even crossed her mind to, you know. Um, now, I'm saying, you know, treated well, maybe. I, I, it did not look like that to me. It did not look like she was paying anybody but herself. But, you know, maybe that was the case. I, I speak for everybody. When that happens, do you say anything to her? Like, hey, you know, this creepy guy is trying to, you know, get me to do stuff. Do you ever say anything to her or no? I didn't know, um, and you know it was one of those things where, you know, my I went into um, wrestling. Um, uh, you know, I had been a, a journalist. I had I gone to journalism school, and I'd worked as a journalist for a year and a half. And um, I had every intention of writing about my experiences. So when I would encounter something like that, um, I just chalked it up to, well, that's wrestling, and you know, just something to let roll off my back. Um, and if I wanted to stick around, which I did, it's still at that point, then I needed to uh, kind of roll with it. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't say anything. And you know, part of me regrets that, and part of me knows that it was just kind of a question of survival. So with Mula, does she say anything to you, like, "Hey, what happened with that guy?" Or she doesn't even bring it up, and it just kind of continues she on. She never brought and... it up. Amazingly, wow. okay. I'm kind of, uh, it's kind of surprising that she you know, didn't kind of, you know, kind of try to pressure me. But, no, I, 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 I talked to the guy and figured out what the deal was and and uh, declined the, the offer, and uh, that was that. There was no, no, she didn't act there any repercussions for me. I just, you know, said no. So so that's that's a point in her favor. I guess, but it's just interesting that she's kind of doing this stuff and setting it up, but then she never really... A, talks to the girls about it, follows up with the girls about it. It's just kind of, I don't know, like normal to her that, okay, all right, whatever, we'll just move on to the next one. It's kind of somehow a little bit of strange behavior. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's really all, you know, second-day second day quarterbacking because, uh, I mean, it's just not, you know, trying to figure out what was in her mind, why she wouldn't follow up or, or, or you know, get pissy with me. I have no idea. Do you think a lot of her, the way she was, was kind of like, okay, she's in a man's world, 
quote unquote, and she's trying to survive and she's kind of just doing whatever she needs to do to stay on top or stay relevant or, or you know, Absolutely. make some money. Absolutely. And I also think that's how the, I mean, the business is, it's a tough business. And it, I think it was way tougher back then. I mean, I think there was a tradition of uh, bookers and promoters to take advantage of the, um, particularly the women wrestlers. I, I don't think that was out of the norm at all. I think it was, you know, a little like Hollywood, you know, in, in that, uh, you know, you, you know, sometimes, you know, people did sleep their way to the top or, or to the middle, whatever it is. But, um, yeah, I, I think it was uh, an even tougher business for women back then, and you had to be tough as nails to, to do it. So, um, you know, and I also, you know, if you look at her history, she was way, you know, she was raised in a in a very impoverished environment, and I, I'm sure she made a vow that she was never going to be poor again. And and uh, I think, you know, she was able to keep that promise to herself. Any ill will towards Moolah? You know, it's funny. The Washington Post reporter uh, did a great job with the article, but she said that I despised Mula, which is not the case. I don't despise anyone, living or dead. And uh, you know, no, absolutely not. I I, uh, I don't know that I would do I would go into wrestling uh, if I had to live my life over again. I'm not sure I would do it again because it was, you know, it was very hard. It was, a, you know, it was very. I don't I don't know that I needed to toughen up that much. But um, and it kind of took years to kind of kind of get back to normal. Um so no, I, I don't despise anyone. You know, it's just so that's a that's a waste of my energy. Well, good attitude. I like that. As far as writing the book and obviously the Washington Post mentions the Chronicles of Mad Maxine, the new book, was that therapeutic almost in, in a way to kind of not have any well, ill will and kind of get through the stuff like that? Sure, because you know you're you're having to kind of relive the experience while you're while you're writing about it. So um and you know, like I said, the book is a novel. It, it, there's parts parts that are true and parts that are, are not true, just like wrestling. And uh, so it was just a way to kind of, yeah, kind of come to terms with, uh, with that part of my life. And and uh, and also, you know, I just really enjoy writing. That's that's my. I've been a writer from the get go, and I, I love love putting words on a page. And uh, so that part was it was therapeutic, but it was also you know quite a lot of fun. And you're saying, you know, a little bit like wrestling, some true to life, some not true to life. With, like, the wrestling stuff, do you, you know, stay mostly true as far as, like, the way you were treated and how things went? Or you kind of go in and out of, just like wrestling, in and out of the truth? Oh, no, I, I'd say that was the, you know, pretty close to the truth. Yeah. So and how long? No, 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 I didn't, didn't fudge there. How long did it take you to write the book? It took me um, from about, about 30, 35 years. Um, I, oh, I had wow. Gotten, yeah. It took me a long time. It took me a long uh, You know what? Um, COVID came along, and I was like, well, you know, I could die from this uh, damn virus, so I might as well, you know, get this thing done that I wanted to finish for a long time. And I just figured, you know, who knows whether whether I'm going to get sick and, and, and die from this virus. I might as well, you know, pull the trigger on it. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, some people are like, oh, I'm not going to get anything done. Well, you can get a lot of stuff done now, right, with COVID. If yeah, you stuck absolutely. inside, you get a ton of stuff done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, uh, I, I uh, stopped drinking, lost a bunch of weight, and in the best shape of my life when, my, when I was wrestling, and uh, and finished the book. So, um, And I haven't caught uh, COVID, so I've got the first vaccine, waiting for the second one. So uh, I, you know, it's it's how you decided to kind of deal with it. I, I live in a beautiful place where I can spend a lot of time outdoors. So I'm very, very fortunate in that uh, I didn't have to, you know, close my door in a tiny apartment in New York City and, and kind of wait it out. And that would be brutal. But uh, I've, I've been really, really lucky. And, and, and I count my blessings every day. As far as Moolah is concerned, the dark side of the ring did a big documentary. It was kind of negative and some people had some positive things but a lot of negativity in there did you happen to catch that documentary i did yeah that was a, was a really interesting show and what did uh, you, you think overall like true not true mostly correct well i mean you know if you have somebody like wendy richter uh or, and uh princess victoria you know coming out on the side of, of talking about moolah and what she did and sweet georgia brown i mean you know the the evidence is fairly overwhelming, and I don't think 
you know, and the people defending her, that's their right, you know, they, they feel loyal to her. And, you know, I understand she, you know, she was a, a, a groundbreaker and, uh, but I, I do also agree uh, with uh, the statements that, you know, she did hold wrestling uh, back for women. And, and, you know, at a certain point she needed to retire and hand off the hand off the reins to somebody else. I mean, Wendy would have person, and uh, and she didn't do it. She couldn't do it, I guess, and, uh, and still keep a, a stranglehold on things. And, you know, and then, of course, she had the affiliation with WWF, now WWE, and and Vince Senior and Vince Junior and and of course they became huge and and they and drove the territories out. Uh, uh, you know, it's it. I I really do. You know, I guess that's all I have to say about that. As far as you in the WB and WWF when you were there working for Vince Junior, did Moolah bring you in? Is that just like yeah. her bringing all her girls in? Okay. Yep, yep, yep. I went up. I, I got two matches with WWF before I, you know, before they wanted me to sign a contract, and I was like, I my sister who's a, an attorney looked at the contract and uh, and she says, "Whoa, this is a hunk of junk. Do not sign this." And actually, she wasn't the only one. I I talked to uh, other talked to other. Uh, you know, legal counsel, and they were like, wow, you signed this, you signed everything away, including my name, you know. I, I wouldn't even be able to keep uh, my name, Mad Maxine. So if if I had signed it, they would have, uh, they, I wouldn't have been able to publish the Chronicles of Mad Maxine because they would have owned the rights to my name. So, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Definitely uh, no interest there. Mm-hmm. So when they initially brought you in, they're kind of promising big things, and then they kind of say, "Hey, we want you to sign a contract." Yeah, it was it was um, it was a little kind of uh, a little bit of an ambush situation. I wasn't I wasn't really I wasn't at all thinking that that I was ready to sign a contract. You know that that I would need to have a lot more matches, a lot more experience. But um, yeah, there was there was a lot of pressure to to sign it, and and how lucky I was that somebody like. WWF would be interested in me. Well, you know, if you were, uh, you know, if, if wrestling is all you ever wanted to do, you might uh, might have, you know, I might have signed it, but, uh, you know, I had already had established a beginning career in journalism, and, and uh, so this was not my end-all, be-all. Did they tell you at this point, you know, they're going to give Wendy Richter this kind of big push that they want you to end up feuding with her? Do they give you any promises or any thoughts? Yes. Uh, yeah, they they said, I, I, you know, well, maybe I could be her, you know, Moolah's secret weapon against Wendy. But I'm, I also know that um, they said that to other other of the uh, women wrestlers, and uh, I wasn't the only one. And, and because, you know, we talked, um, the you know, the women in the camp talked to each other, uh, I, I knew that you know this was just a you know little t- bit of cheese they were dangling in front of me. So seems like that a lot of men and women always say that story. Like, oh, I was supposed to feud with Hulk Hogan, and now that this was going to be the match. You know, you always hear stuff like that. Like, oh yeah, you're going to feud with Wendy Rick. So they tell a lot of people uh, different things, hoping that they don't talk to each other. Yeah, exactly. But you know, that's uh, that just did not work in this case. Is that story true that they wanted you to be in the rock and wrestling cartoon with Hulk Hogan? Uh, yeah, in fact, um, you know, you'll see the um, on the internet. You can see like the beginning uh, kind of where they were developing the idea, and there's a character based on me with a mohawk and a fuzzy vest, and you know, it, it basically looked, uh, you know, they they took the costume that I had developed and and uh, and then when I kind of went away, they you know I got they struck my character from the from the lineup, which was, you know, it, was, it would have been fun to be a cartoon character, but <laughs> that's okay. I'm okay with that. And you know who ended up being in your place? As who? far as, I believe Moolah ended up being in the cartoon in your place. Oh, is that right? Okay. Of well, course. Again, yeah. not surprising, <laughs> right? Because uh, you know she wanted she wanted as much attention as possible. That's that's what kept the bucks rolling. In. Was the WWF towards the latter end of your career? So you were more you know were you in the territories before you went to WWF or was it after? 
No, it was, it was uh, you know, I trained with uh, with Mula, and then she took me up to Poughkeepsie and uh, actually Stanford, Connecticut, and uh, and I met with Gorilla Monsoon and Mula, and uh, and you know, once I left WWF, I never went back. So that was right at the very very beginning when I was super green and terrified of getting into the ring, just knees shaking, you know, hyperventilating, just. You know all the all the stuff that I learned, you know, over the six months uh, was just it was, went out of my head once I got into that ring. Oh my gosh, I was so scared. And do you develop your own character and everything like as you're heading in there and starting wrestling, or does Moolah created, or a little bit of a collaboration? You know, I was dating a guy who had a comic book collection, and he showed me one of a character, uh, an X Men comic uh, with the character Storm. And she was this African-American princess who had, like, a mohawk, and she was very muscular and had a really cool look. And I um, I was ready to – I felt like I was ready for my first match, and Lula was not, you know, m- not moving forward with it. So I went ahead and uh, and got a mohawk uh, and, you know, got my clothes together and, you know, kind of – I felt like I was – you know, if I, if I showed her how – how great it would look, you know, that she would be kind of forced to admit it and uh, and get me a, my first match. So yeah, that was all all me. And I and she was not terribly happy with me. You know, she she really preferred her women to look, you know, you know, have long hair and and uh, be, you know, uh, you know, a certain a certain, you know, they, she wanted wrestlers to be, you know, pretty. And I wanted to, I didn't want to be pretty. I wanted to be, I wanted to look like a badass. Was a very very cool look and definitely a different look. <laughs> I could definitely, you know, I can see her saying, like, "Oh, this is this is too different," or you know, "This is not what I wanted." Yeah, exactly. Although she did mention uh, she had, uh, you know, that that I was. Uh, she mentioned a, a wrestler named Bald Lady Angel, who I hadn't heard of. She was an old timer wrestler, and she shaved her head and, and was very very much a, a heel, very very scary looking, and and so. I mean, you know, getting a mohawk wasn't, you know, it it, I, it was not, you know, completely different. I mean, you know, the world of wrestling is, you know, populated with, uh, you know, different looking people. So um, she, uh, yeah. Where do you head after WWF? Is that when you head down to Florida in championship wrestling? Yeah. Um, so uh first uh went to Miami and and I was traveling with a couple of other women wrestlers who wanted to get out from under her uh kind of clutches and uh and we we tried to get in into um into uh you know the we tried to meet up with the bookers and the and the promoters but they were all based in Tampa so eventually realized we had to move to Tampa so I moved up to Tampa, and they stayed in Miami a little longer, and uh, eventually, well, actually, pretty quickly, I, I went to the Gold's Gym in Tampa that was known for, um, you know, for the wrestlers uh, working out there, and, you know, within like, I don't know, 10 minutes of getting into the gym, somebody came up to me, gave me a phone number for Wahoo, Chief Wahoo McDaniel, and and I called him the next day. Got a got an appointment. We, I mean, I was it was no time at all before I was um, I was uh, wrestling as uh, McDaniel's uh, valet. And and then we and then it was like uh, they were kind of like a tag team. But he he was a great uh, first mentor because you know he really knew the business, had been in it a long time, was a pretty good guy. And uh, you know, and, and and that's saying a lot. Um, and kind of looked out for me, and uh, you know, made sure I didn't get messed with. Uh, you know, the, the boys kind of were. Uh, you know, if, if anybody was messed with me, uh, he would have he would have you know taken care of that. So I felt like I was I had some protection. And uh, you know, that was really a fun uh, fun time uh, being in Tampa. I you know I had all my. I'd, I'd finished up school at University of South Florida and in Tampa, and so I had a lot of friends in that area. And and then also um, they had a, a deal where you know we went down to Nassau, Bahamas, like every two weeks for a, quite a long time, which was pretty exciting to get on a plane and go to 
go to the Bahamas and, and wrestle and then uh and we always wrestled at night. There was like this um the the matches were held outside uh in this kind of wrestling ring that was surrounded by this big heavy you know uh concrete fence and it was you know it was huge huge in the Bahamas and so we we'd go and do our matches and then uh and then go out afterwards um like I had a, a partner I had Pride was a Haitian wrestler and he and I uh wrestled together and then uh down in the Bahamas and uh let's see Coco Samoa was a Samoan uh a wrestler uh who was my partner for a while and you know it just uh it was it was really nice to um have a partner who was a person of color because then in the evenings when we would go out I would be able to go with them, you know with my my partner and we'd go to all these clubs where I would be the only white person there and I just felt really privileged to you know to be uh to you know be given entrance to a place that I would not normally have access to and I was just I felt really lucky. Way different than your time in New York in the WBS sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I had uh, I mean I had friends, uh, you know, I knew I knew my way around uh Tampa and and it was just so much more fun than uh you know than living on a compound with with this kind of stress of of you know somebody kind of controlling your life who you don't trust. So when you're in Florida, is Eddie Graham the book? I mean, who, who's booking down there when you're there? Uh, Mike Graham was kind of running things, but uh, Chief Wahoo McDaniel was the booker. So uh, I think actually probably they worked together on it. But yeah, Graham was was uh, was leading the operation. Also, I believe Luna Vachon was down there, right? When you were down there? Yeah, actually, um, she went by Angel uh, uh, when she was one of the. Uh, Two wrestlers who I left Camp Mula with. Um, it was Angel Vachon and uh, Peggy Lee uh, Fowler, who, um, you know, and those two um, came up from Miami. Uh, we we lived in um, Angel's parents' condo uh, while we were down in the Miami area, and then uh, we all got a house together when we lived in Tampa. Um, so first. Um, uh Angel, who later became Luna, um uh came up and then they uh uh they pulled her into a story with uh, Kevin Sullivan and his army of darkness and 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 that was the uh that was what Luna needed. She kind of took it and ran with it. All she needed was a, just a little opportunity and she was off. She uh you know, everybody looked at her, you know, she's short, you know, uh slight and you know she's just not a very big person at the time, and curly blonde hair, and everybody said, "Oh, you're obviously a baby face, but that was the last thing she wanted. you know she came from a wrestling family uh butcher and Maurice and her, her aunt Vivian Bashon uh, all in in Canada, and they were all heels like big time hardcore uh french canadian heels and and that's what she wanted to be more than anything and and damned if she didn't do it. Was she crazy? You know, like the gimmick, obviously, later on would be Luna and she'd be so nuts and two on the face. So she wasn't behind the scenes as crazy as uh, as we think, as perceived? No, she was She was basically the opposite of that. She was just a very sweet, uh, kind person. Look out for you. You know, give, you know, if you needed something, she was there for you. She was a, she was a good friend. She was a, a really nice person. Um you know she struggled with um uh you know with some mental health issues and uh i think she probably channeled those while she was uh you know wrestling but uh you know she was just a really really nice person seems like a lot of big women's names like big wrestlers definitely came from that mula factory but would kind of get maybe smart to her or get sick of her enough of her and leave is that kind of the, the general of a lot of the the name talent that left? It's like, okay, you know, we don't need this anymore. Yeah, I mean, especially when there were uh, independent territories where you could, you know, where you could go and make a, a decent living and, uh, or at least a living of some kind. I mean, um, it it just, you know, it's do you want somebody to control your life? So, uh, you know, 
you know, I, unfortunately, I think I, I really am, uh, you know, the fact that I got to work in several territories was just, you know, I, I'm really glad I got to see them before they um, before they died. I, I think there are, uh, you know, efforts uh, pre-pandemic, I think efforts to, you know, start new territories and to get that going. And I, I, I applaud people who do that. I, you know, it's it's you're really up against it when you're when you're trying to compete with a mega monster like um WWE uh you know it's and and of course you know a lot of the wrestlers say WWE that's it that's the that's the only show in town but not when I was wrestling i mean in the in the mid 80s uh, when i was coming up it was you know you had the opportunity to move around not only the united states but you could go over to japan and wrestle and and in Mexico and and Canada, I mean, there you know you could get you could you know make a living in a, a bunch of different places. Where else did you go? You went to Continental, right? After after that, you ended up with uh, the Fullers. That's right. That's right. And uh, that was a tough territory because it was so big. You know, I was based in Baton Rouge, and and uh, you know you're just driving all the time. And it's just like you know when you're based in in Florida, you know, your you know, your drives can be long but they're not gonna be grotesquely long. I mean Oh, you mean uh mid south, UWF. Yeah, UWF, yeah. okay. For a Bill Watts. That's right. Yes, I'm sorry, that's what I meant. Yes. So yeah, work working uh, you know, you're in Houston and and uh New Orleans and, you know, Mobile, Alabama. I mean you're it's really such a it was such a huge territory. It just was you know, just it, and being on the road it really wears you out. So you're eating lousy food. You're, you know, you're staying in, you know, lousy hotels, and and you know, you just you kind of have to. I don't know how a person could stay healthy in that in that environment. It's just really hard to, you know. I mean, you try to work out every day so that you can keep your muscle tone, but you know, as far as everything else, you you know, it's just it's not a it's not a you know. It's not a great environment for somebody who is actually uh, athletic and you know wants to stay fit. Did Bill Watts or how did like you end up there? Did he recruit you, or was there another yeah. way that you got brought in? Um, uh, Wahoo, um, you know, uh, talked to him. I mean, he contacted Wahoo, and and uh, you know, I would have stayed in, in Tampa, you know, in Florida for forever. Uh, you know, I, I really just that was that was wonderful fun, but. At a certain point, uh, you know, they were done with the story, and uh, and it was time to move. So, um, yeah, so they got in touch with Wahoo, and the arrangements were made. And then I just drove on out to. I actually was based in Baton Rouge. Um, so, who yeah, did they, pay, who'd they pair you with when you were there? I had a, a Cuban partner at the time, and uh, and then um, a lot of times I was just wrestling, um, you know. I'm trying to actually remember. Oh, 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 oh! Jack Victory and the Sheepherders is is who I was kind of connected to. I, I was you know trying to blank that out because that was not my favorite time uh, uh, in the wrestling world. <laughs> it was it was uh, it was tough territory, you know, meaning you know huge and and uh, Jack and I did not. Uh, and I hear from other people that he's the, a very nice guy, and I'm sure that's true. But at the time, you know, he just. I think he thought he was being saddled with, you know, something that he didn't need, meaning me, and uh, I uh, I was not fond of him either. So, whatever, all under the bridge. As far as the sheep herders, do you think that uh, that was I know, obviously very unique gimmicks? A lot of people would know them as the bushwhackers later on, but did you right. like working with them? You know, they. Um, I, I thought they had a really cool gimmick, and I really loved watching them kind of play with the crowd. That they were really hilarious. But as far as like personally, um, you know, I I don't think they thought much of me. And uh, you know, they they you know like you know even sharing a ride to matches. There, you know, most of the time I I was traveling by myself instead of you know going in the car with them. So. Yeah, no, I don't think there was no love lost there. Um uh for whatever reason. I, I you know, maybe it's maybe it's the, you know, maybe it was me particularly or maybe it was women in general. I you know, I have no idea. But that was not that was my and it was also, you know, probably m- partly my attitude. I was I was kind of 
moving to the point where I wanted to get the hell out. I was just kind of tired of the whole thing and wanted to get back to, uh, you know, a more reasonable life. So when you retired from the business and were done, you're just like, okay, that, that's just a chapter in my life and I'm done with it. You didn't kind of have regrets like, oh, I wish I hung around or anything. You're like, the retirement is like, okay, now I'm done. Yeah, I had a, I was looking for, uh, <clears throat> I was looking for that sign <clears throat> that I was, uh, you know, that I had, that I had done the whole thing, that I had had the full experience. And, and, uh, once that, you know, once that happened, I, I, I walked away and that was, that was it for me. I was never going back. Um, and that happened, um, I got, uh, I got, uh, all my, uh, had my stuff stolen out of a, um, dressing room in Houston. And then I got, uh, embarrassed and humiliated and hurt in the next day at a, Big match at the Astrodome in in uh, New Orleans, and and then I drove wrong way over the bridge, heading back to my by the week hotel in Baton Rouge, and I was like, you know, like there was like a switch that went off in me. It was like, okay, that's it. You don't have to do this anymore. So, what happened at the Astrodome? Well, um, it was um, so I, I, you know, it was a, it was a huge match or like thousands and thousands of people there. Um, I had um, gotten a really cool costume together in Washington, D.C. that I'd brought back that had been stolen. And I wanted to wear something, you know, different than what I normally wore. So I went out and found a sparkly drum majorette outfit and I duct taped that on my body. And uh, and uh, in the match, uh, you know, my my top fell off. The duct tape didn't hold and I exposed. I was exposed to the crowd, and it was just you know it was like one of those things that I always made a point of never you know I always made sure my costumes were like you know a, you could put a bomb underneath a, any of the seams and they would still stay on. Um, so this was like you know it really really just it's the worst feeling in the world. And then I kind of lost it and potatoed uh, uh, Dark Journey who I was wrestling. Uh, hard and and she re- re- retaliated as a person would and uh, and kicked me very hard in the crotch and uh, that was it I was just like you know she and I are friends and uh, I have no ill will toward her but it was uh, you know it was just like one of those you know those mental moments that's just, you know that I will always remember and it's like okay I I just you know it's like I was looking for a sign from the heavens to say. Time to get out of wrestling, and that was it. That's funny because I, I mean that's like sign after sign after sign. It's a few signs. Yeah, <laughs> signs uh, three in a row. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, and, I, I really wanted to be sure it was time. <laughs> and that's funny with Dark Journey. I guess that's what I guess they call it a receipt, right? In wrestling, when when somebody hits you hard or whatever, and they you kind of give what? it back to them. I've read that, but I've actually never heard a wrestler call it a receipt. <laughs> so he <laughs> called it p- potatoing somebody. You know. He, you know, or you, you know, you clock somebody really, really hard, and and uh, you know, you're you're working or you're not working, you're shooting, and uh, and it wasn't a shoot; it was just me being clumsy and her, you know, saying, "Well, the hell with that! I'm not going to take this." So, you know, I don't I don't have any any blame about that. So that's kind of the exit from the business, and then you go right back into journalism and writing, and that kind of takes yeah. off for you. I um let's see for I spent a summer in, back in DC where my sister lived and then got a job up in Boston working for uh an African American newspaper. Um while I was in wrestling I um I kept my hand in journalism by uh covering a freelance uh, on a freelance basis a Klan rally for a uh black newspaper called the Black News and um you know took photographs and interviewed all the all the KKK people and Wrote wrote about it for him, and then, so you know, I was kind of uh, I I thought that would be kind of an interesting uh, way to get to know Boston, you know, because it's uh, you know I I had heard that it was notoriously racist, so I wanted to, you know, see if that was that was the case. So went up there and uh, and worked for less than a year actually at that newspaper because. I didn't realize how freaking cold it gets up there. Boston, oh, yeah. not not my town. It was oof, too, too, too cold. Boy, it's freezing up there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, brutal. I, th- I said it wasn't. If it wasn't, uh, if it wasn't cold by my birthday, which is at the end of April, 
I was I was going to leave Boston. That and it, lo and behold, it was not warm. So I uh, I got the hell out again. As far as that career, though, you I mean you're liking that a lot more than professional wrestling, right? Uh oh yeah. Um, you know that was it was um, the wrestling was part of my journalism kind of career. I wanted to you know there was a writer named George Plimpton who would go out and do uh, you know something you know he'd work with a professional uh, baseball league or a, uh, a ba- I'm sorry baseball team or uh, he also did football and a, and a few others. He and he would write about them. So that's that's kind of who I modeled myself on. I really wanted to have like a big project that I could because I, I was afraid of getting stuck in kind of a run-of-the-mill job, some kind of big thing that I could point to and say. And in fact, the um, covering the Klan rally for the Black News was a uh, it really got me probably more interviews than anything else on my resume. So. No, in you know, it was, I, I did not uh, advertise that I had been a wrestler, though. <laughs> oh, maybe you should have. <laughs> I, you know, now I'm fine with it, but you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm a freelancer, so it, it, nobody's going to hold it against me. Now, with that clan rally, doing that, did the clan find out and was like upset that you're covering it for Black News, or they never really kind of you don't get any heat for it? You know, I I was really worried about that. I and you know my. My name uh, was in the phone book, and, and uh, I, I thought that there would be repercussions, but fortunately there were not, and I and I didn't have um, anybody showing up on my doorstep. So that was very lucky. Yeah, definitely. Pretty brave of you to do that in general, though. I mean, it's kind of a, um, I don't know, I guess you could say, from what I've seen, <laughs> that maybe those people can be a little crazy sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think you got to take some risks in this life. Otherwise, you just kind of paddle through and, and nothing really happens. So you take some risks. You know, sometimes they're calculated, sometimes not. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, definitely. As we hit the wind down and uh, head towards the finish, just curious, do you have any regrets, though, from your time in wrestling? Anything to kind of look back and maybe wish you would have changed? Um, no, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I got the experience I was looking for. I, you know, I got trained by this, you know, famous wrestler. I got offered a contract with the biggest, um, outfit. I got, you know, the experience of, of working as a wrestler day after day after day after day, you know, seven days a week. Um, so no, I don't have, I don't have any regrets. I'm, what I'm really grateful is for is that unlike a lot of the people who have been in the business for a long time, I never got um, seriously hurt. And, uh, you know, the, I know I have a bunch of friends who, you know, wrestled for 10 or 20 years and they are dealing with, uh, you know, kind of a lot of, you know, a lot of physical health issues, you know, and messed up knees and, you know, it's it's tough on the body. It's, you know, Wrestlers are professional athletes. You know, you you are wearing your body out, and uh, and then you compound that with uh, life on the road. And you know, you, you really, it it really is not the healthiest environment. So I'm I'm lucky I got out when I did before I got, you know, before I broke my neck or you know hurt myself seriously. When you look back, or when fans really look back at Lady Maxine or Mad Maxine. But even you yourself, um, the writer, journalist, doing the KKK rally, all that other stuff, what do you think is kind of like the legacy or the stamp? Even throw your book in there, too. I mean, what do you think when people look at you that they're going to think and kind of what's the stamp you leave behind? On wrestling, to be honest, I, I think that that belongs to people like Wendy Richter, Princess Victoria, Joyce Grable, I mean, uh, you know, Peggy Lee Leather, uh, Luna Vachon, I mean, uh, those are the the women who did it year after year after year. I, my my I from stem to stern, I did it for just a little over a couple of years. So I don't have much of a legacy when it comes to to wrestling, except that you know I had a I had an unusual look at the time, and uh, and now I've written this book. So I don't know. I don't know. That I guess that's for somebody else to decide. As far as kind of getting interviewed by the Washington Post and, you know, really kind of staying relevant, do you feel like that's kind of a, a, like 
showing that, okay, maybe I did accomplish more than I thought I did. You know, people do care about my story. I am relevant to a lot of people. Well, I think the um, the relevance is the is just the adventurousness of it. I think um, I don't I don't know uh, how many people in their twenties um, go off and do you know have a big adventure. I think a lot of people do actually. Um, they say, well, before I you know you know get all serious and you know get on a career track and you know maybe get married and have some kids, I'm going to do something really different and really adventurous and. And uh, I think I think if uh, if I could inspire you know a 20 year old to go off and have a big adventure, um, you know I think then then I would I would count that uh, uh, a good thing. Um, my my stepdaughter, for example, um, uh, is uh, getting her master's uh, her second master's at University of Glasgow in Scotland, living you know living in Scotland where her dad's from. And uh, and that's her big adventure, you know. She's living in a foreign country and has a Scottish boyfriend, and and you know, living in a you know really environment. And I mean, she'll look back on that when she's you know sixty, uh, my age, and and you know she'll you know that it'll give her a sense of satisfaction. So I think you know, you know, pushing the boundaries out a little bit. I think I, I'm I, I'm all about that. Now, as far as the book. Give us one last big push for the chronicles of Mad Maxine, the book, and where everybody can find it. Sure. Well, um, uh, it is a, a big adventure, and it's you know I wrote it so that you could vis- you know you could see what is happening. So it's it's very visual, and I want you to actually be able to see the sweat flying off the wrestlers, and I want you to turn a page so fast because you can't wait to see what's going to happen next. And uh, so that's that's how I wrote it, and that's the kind of feedback that I'm getting is that's how people are taking it. Um, it's available on Amazon, and uh, uh, people can also um, buy a copy, uh, signed copy from me for $14 um, via Venmo. Um, it's my my Venmo uh, address is Janine Dash M J O. Actually, first name is J E A N N I N E dash m-j-o-s-e-t-h and uh you know this is all um you can they can check this out um i have a facebook page with this information available it's called hard-hitting advice um from a lady uh from that maxine excuse me and uh and you can also you know ask me questions and most of the time, Mad Maxine responds, but sometimes Lady Maxine responds. She was when I, she was what I, I uh, she was my alter personality. So nice, love it. Well, I like to thank you so much for all the time today. Really appreciate it, and good luck hey, with everything going on pleasure, with the book, John. Thank you very much for having me. I really, I really enjoyed it, and uh, appreciate your uh, excellent questions. Thank you. I'm glad we finally were able to get this done. So thank you so <laughs> much. Appreciate too. it. Me too. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.